Gate Church. If you are familiar, if you're one of the folks that's been around and you know it, let's share our our theme with the world, our motto with the world. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And we mean that. We're not going to be able to do everything for everybody, but that is our goal. That no matter what you've brought into this room, you're going to find that you are welcome, you're wanted, and you are loved. Hey, you may wonder what's going on over here in the corner with all these cards. We are giving out cards at the Christmas parade along with some Christmas ornaments and you know, gospel material, material about the church. If you would like to, if you haven't already, stop by over there and just sign your first name to a stack of cards or a couple of cards or if you're just feeling very, very enthusiastic today, just go sign them all. And uh, we're going to give those out just to let people know that, that somebody cares about them. And um, I've lost my note, Tara. The Christmas play practice is right after this. So if you're involved in the Christmas play in any way, that is right after this today. Uh, also, the Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Packing is happening this afternoon. That is today at 2 p.m. Now, this is so much fun. Let me, let me describe to you how, how this happens. We kind of like put an aisle. I don't know if we'll do it exactly right here. We like have a row of tables and everybody grabs one of these shoe boxes and you put an item in it like from each category and it's a lot of fun and you build these shoe boxes. Some of you will be like, shoe boxes, what's that about? Operation Christmas Child is a ministry of Samaritan's Purse and they send these shoe boxes full of, of small gifts for a child that's in a, in a faraway country usually. Not sure which, which country they're going to this year. And uh, they take these shoeboxes in at Christmas time and present them to the kids. And they also hear about Jesus who loves them. And they spend some time with them. They do something kind of like a vacation Bible school. That's what we would call it with these kids. So that, that's going to be a big blessing to them and a big blessing for you. Last year we had the best time. So, But what I really want to say before we get too far along here today is thank you so much to our vets. I know we got some vets here today. I'm not going to make you stand but wave, would you? I know we got some vets here. Okay, we got several over on this side. Thank you so much. Let's have a hand for our vets. I realize there, there are times when we are frustrated with our country, but we, we have freedoms not everybody has. And that freedom doesn't come free. Somebody's paying for that. And these are people who raised their hand to pay that price if need be. And we are thankful for you all very, very much. I want to tell you a story about a guy who's a veteran. His name is Chad. Chad Robicho. He was returning from his eighth deployment as a force recon marine and a JSOC operative. And the horrors of combat had left him with severe PTSD and anxiety and panic attacks. And he's a fit guy, so to cope with all of this stress he finds an outlet as an mma fighter mma and jiu-jitsu and he gets really good at it he wins the world title in his weight class and that's so much better but the things that cause his pain the real sources of his pain they're still there and it's coming to the surface and he's really struggling and it's gnawing at him, straining his mental state, straining his marriage, and it got so bad that he and his wife separated, and he was left depressed and suicidal and alone. But his wife had not given up on him. She's praying for him every single day, and breakthroughs began to come, and he began to understand that 
that he needs to train for his spiritual life like he did for for the ring he needs to get a mentor he needs to train every single day so he does that he gets involved with a mentor this mentor teaches him how to submit his life to jesus christ and that happened and he was changed he was saved and over the course of a year he gained control over his PTSD and, and got it to a manageable place. He reconciled his marriage. And then he and his wife started the Mighty Oaks Foundation as a beacon of hope to assist combat veterans in discovering God's plan for their lives. If, you, if you're unfamiliar, look that up. You'll be very inspired. Mighty Oaks. They, they tackle the alarming rates of divorce and suicide among military personnel and mighty oaks is helping vets deal with their visible scars but also with the invisible scars that are left by the trauma of war chad robicho that's his name he's helping restore lives restore broken families empowering vets to overcome the challenges and find strength and purpose and peace in jesus his faith is moving mountains but What's the first mountain that moved? The one that was in him. That's where it had to start. Look, Jesus famously encouraged his followers to pray that mountains be moved. But a big part of moving mountains out, out there with our prayers is the movement that happens in us first. So this is what the message is about today. This is kind of the, the phrase that ties it all together. Okay, go ahead and hit the, hit the next one. This is it. Look, I always try to do this because people can't remember like long, big things. What was the sermon about? Uh, Jesus? I don't know. But like if you can remember this, you'll remember everything about this sermon. All right. If you're a writing it down kind of person, this is the thing to write down. Prayer moves mountains. And the first mountain that must move is in me. In me. All right. We're in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 to 24. This set this in, in time. This takes place three days about three days before the crucifixion so jesus is coming down to the end the disciples know something big is happening he's tried to explain it they they haven't really understood truly they have a hard time believing that jesus could ever be killed they don't really understand that he's going to be killed and come back this is about two days after jesus came into jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry riding on a donkey everyone's shouting hosanna and one day before this is when Jesus went into the temple and turned over the tables and ran out the money changers and all of that. Very famous scene. But in with that story, that table-turning story, Jesus encountered a fig tree. A fig tree. And he found no fruit on that fig tree. And the fig tree was withered. He, he cursed the fig tree and it withered. And it, it seems... Like this whole deal with the fig tree and the temple is not at all related to what we're about to talk about, but it is. This is really the, the conclusion of that whole teaching on the fig tree and the, temp, on the, and the temple, the cleansing of the temple. So let's read that, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about it. Verse 22, Mark eleven twenty-two. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And therefore I say to you that whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. Heavenly Father, please speak to us now. We need to know what this means.
There are mountains in our lives that need to move. And I pray you'll teach us how we can have the mountains in us moved as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So the withering of the fig tree and uh, somebody sent me a note. I don't know idea what that is. <laughs> um, the, the withering of the fig tree and uh, the temple, the cleansing of the temple were, were connected. They're both symbolic of the same difficult truth. The, the religious system that was at the center of the nation, this temple-based sacrificial system, was soon to come to an end. See, the disciples picked up on what Jesus was implying here, that just as the fig tree was withered, then this whole temple system would be withered. The temple would be destroyed eventually. And the disciples couldn't wrap their heads around such a tragedy. You see, the temple was, was all they had ever known. In their world, getting to God meant going to the temple. Tapping into the power of God meant taking part in the religious ceremonies at the temple. They figure if the temple is destroyed, then what are we going to do? The connection with God is destroyed. Jesus understands that. Jesus understands that they're freaking out a little bit if you've ever been like i'm freaking out god well he knows he knows he can see it he can feel it he'll be there for you his answer to their fears is have faith in god now if anybody else says this it feels like a cop-out answer okay have you ever had anybody say you know my life is it's really bad right now it's really tougher like say god that's okay god's got this are you struggling with your faith don't worry just have faith in god it'll be just fine now it sounds like a cop-out answer sometimes the easy answer to hard problems. And if, if what we mean by have faith is to just try to have a positive mental attitude or pretend that nothing is really bad or say, oh, well, other people have it worse, then, yeah, there's not a lot of comfort in that. But that is not what Jesus is about. Hear me. Following Jesus is not about downplaying the bad stuff that's happening. The Lord does not expect you to say, oh, things aren't really so bad. No, you can be 100% real about your struggles. He wants you to be real about your struggles. We aren't sticking our head in the sand. We aren't pretending things that aren't, that, that, that aren't really that bad. But we're going to be honest. That, yep, this situation is big. But our God is bigger. The disciples couldn't see that the temple was never really the way to God. Tapping into the power of God has never been about going to a place. It's been about going to a person. It's been about faith, trusting him. The temple has been destroyed for nearly 2,000 years now, but the power of God is just as available as it's always been if we pray in faith. Look, look, have faith in God, not in religious institutions, not in religious practices. I realize through the ages that a lot of people have treated Christianity like it's a religion, they dress it up in robes. They give it lots of rules. They give it lots of ceremonies. But that's not how it was meant to be. This whole Christian thing literally started with 12 guys following Jesus. And that's not a metaphor. They walked around with him, like all over the country, for several years. Sleeping where he slept. Eating what he ate. Witnessing what he was doing. Sharing life with him. Learning from him. That's how it got started. Christianity is not supposed to be a religion. It has always and forever been a relationship with Jesus. That's all it's ever been. 
If tomorrow the government declares everything we do here illegal, if they burn down every last church building in America and somehow manage to round up every single physical and digital copy of the scriptures and destroy them, that does not destroy our faith. You see, we are at the most fundamental level of people defined by a relationship with the resurrected Savior, and you can't take that away. You can't destroy that. The temple was a place set aside for man to meet God, and it worked good for a while. That, was, that helped them focus, all right? But it was never meant to be the final answer on that. God took it a lot further. Look, Jesus, when Jesus walked among us, God walked among us. This is mind-blowing to me. In Jesus, God and man came together as one. 100% God, 100% man. And if that blows your mind a little bit, you and everybody else, including me. I went to school to understand that, and my brain won't comprehend that, yet it's true. It's true. The doctrine of the incarnation is one of the most overwhelming concepts in history, but it's true. So within a generation of when Jesus speaks these words, the temple is going to be destroyed, but faith will not be destroyed. Jesus pointed out that the true power to move mountains has always been faith. All right, remember the heart of the message? Let's put that phrase up here again. Um, you are 100% free to snap a picture of that if you want that. I'm, I'm going to snap a picture of it after the service. Prayer moves mountains, and the first mountain that must move is in me. May God move the mountain of trusting in religious practices, religious places, or my own ability to follow a set of religious rules. See, when we come to God, we don't come bargaining and say, hey, God, I've been extra super good this week. Like God's Santa Claus, I've been really good, Santa. I want the big set of Legos. I want the Lego Death Star thing. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? Oh, Somebody get the preacher a Lego Death Star, would you? I'm just kidding. That's like really expensive. No. There are other things. You won't spend that kind of money. We'll talk. Okay. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, um, we don't come to God bargaining and say, I've been extra good. I've been following the rules. I've been super religious. No, we come to God with empty hands. We, we stand on the ground that is covered with the blood of Jesus. That's how we come. We don't come to bargain. We come with nothing. Empty hands and full faith. Let's look at verse 23 real quick. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So right now they're, they're standing on a literal mountain, the Mount of Olives. But the disciples did not say, Mount of Olives, go to the jump in the Dead Sea. Didn't say that. Um, does God have the power to literally pick up a mountain? Sure, he's God. He made it all. Not a problem. But what would the purpose of that be? You see, God doesn't do things without purpose. There's an old, very bad, false paradox that asks, can God lift, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Why would God do that? 
Nobody ever seems to stop and ask that. Why? God does not do pointless parlor tricks. Remember when Jesus came on the scene and some of the unbelieving religious elites, they said, you do a sign, do a sign that so we can believe in you. And he had literally been doing lots of things all around. He said, I, I am not doing a trick to impress you. That's not how God works. He ain't a God of parlor tricks. He is a God of purpose. And look, as impressive as it would be for God to lift up a mountain, a big chunk of rock, that'd be cool. I think the more lasting and eternal miracle is the moving of mountains inside of us. There, there are mountains in our lives that seem just as impossible to move as the Mount of Olives or Mount Rogers or Buffalo Mountain or anything like that. What are those mountains? What are those mountains that seem like they'll never move? I can't speak to everybody's experience, but I just bet that most of us have got some pretty painful things in our past that always seem to haunt us. Maybe some of our biggest mistakes. Maybe some of the worst things that someone has done to us. Maybe the opportunities we've missed. Pain in the past, that's a mountain, if anything's a mountain. You got any worries that keep you up at night? It's like a mountain that can't be moved. Broken relationships, family drama, financial burdens, addiction, sickness, mental health struggles, discouragement, the many anxieties of living in a society that seems bent on destroying itself. And maybe the biggest mountain of all, that gnawing torture of doubt inside of us. Those things are so immovable, they might as well be a mountain. Good news. God is the mountain mover. You got some immovable stuff? That's an opportunity for God. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe and you will receive them and you will have them. We pray and we hope and we wish, but deep down, do we believe it? Sometimes deep down, I wonder. I know I'm not supposed to be saying this. I'm the guy with the mic, right? I'm supposed to have the unshakable faith. I'm supposed to be the guy who has it all together. These people sitting in the front row live in the same house as me. They'll tell you. They'll tell you I'm a work in progress like anybody. Sometimes I pray and I beg and I plead with God, but deep down, do I really believe it? Do I wonder if he'll come through? Do you ever find yourself in that moment? You're praying. You know God's got to help, but you wonder, does God really care about this? Is he listening? Is he going to come through? And, and if he cares, am I even asking the right thing? See, when we pray, we've we got to believe. Unbelief is our first and biggest mountain. And some of you who have been around for a while and say, okay, yeah, I believe, but I also believe that God's will is sovereign, right? That God knows what he's doing, that he's in charge of this world. Um, I, if he's moving all things towards his purpose, why do I bother praying if God's already got a plan? Well, we should be praying for, some, for God's will, right? We should be praying for that. And, and a lot of the times we end our prayers saying, Lord, I ask all this if it's your will, that it would come to pass. That's not a bad thing to say. But that can be another cop-out. It can be like a subconscious way of saying, God, I'm praying about this because I'm supposed to pray about this. But I'm not really sure you'll help. So in case you don't want to help, it's okay. It's okay, God. You don't have to help. You know how it is. Like saying, you know, you can help if you want to. But you don't have to. 
You should absolutely be praying and seeking the will of God. But I, I want you to understand that the, the fact that God has a purpose and God has a will, it's not the same thing as fatalism or determinism. We're not robots living out some existence that is predetermined. He has given us this gift of free will. And he has given us this incredible, mind-blowing, wonderful opportunity. God makes a place in his will for our prayers. This is the God who runs everything, and he has a plan, and yet he makes room in his plan for what we pray about. God's will is unfolding even now in the prayers of his people. His saving purpose is coming to pass through the prayers of people like you. See, look, I know it's, it's easy to imagine that God's will is, is a very single path and that, that if you ever mess up a little bit, then everything is, is blown up. No, God's will is, is much more of a broad highway, okay? I might get myself in trouble for this one, so listen very carefully so you can at least be mad knowing what I really said. Deal? All right. Not be mad at me for what you think I said. Just be mad at me for what I really said and what I really meant. Let me try this. God's will is like a broad highway, and it's going to the place it's going. And we're not going to get off that highway. But it's a pretty wide highway. And he gives us the opportunity to influence what is happening on that highway. That's why he says pray. Because we, he asks us to be a part of it. He, his prayers... Our prayers influence things. If they didn't, why would he ask us to pray? God specifically invites us to participate in influencing the details. And big details. Like lives and destinies and futures. Every choice you make today influences the future. Every prayer you pray today influences the future. So yeah, God's got his big overarching purposes, but he invites us to participate in some of the stuff that's within these two ditches, all right? So we, we are invited to be a part of that. God wants us to pray, and he wants to be asked to move mountains. God wants to hear about your mountain-sized problems. Most of the time, we have these mountains out there that we want moved, and we pray, but we don't really pray until something starts moving inside of us. The mountain in us starts to move. What are those mountains inside of us that keep us from praying about the mountains on the outside? You ever felt like you've made too many mistakes for God to listen to you? I have. If God keeps score, ooh, we're all in trouble. None of us gets in except by the grace of God. I want you to understand, you think you've messed up? Well, we all have. But God is ready to do something about that. You don't have to give up on the idea that you can pray because you've messed up. There might be a spiritual dryness or a spiritual deadness in us that's got to be dealt with. And we have things we want to pray to God about, but we've got to deal with the heart stuff, the relationship stuff. Remember, it's not a religion. It's not a show up in a place and do a list of things kind of arrangement. It is a living relationship with a person I mean, okay, let me just throw it out here like this. Um, if you're on social media, have you had someone that you haven't talked to and since high school try to get you involved in a multi-level marketing scheme? 
if that's you, if you're that person, I don't mean to be picking on you, but it's like everybody's like got somebody, okay, that they haven't heard from in like decades maybe, depending on how long you've been out of school. Like, hey, let me tell you about starting your own business. So, you know, God bless, hey, God bless people who are trying to start their own business. But I'm saying it would be much more effective if this is someone you had actually talked to since high school or talked to in high school, you know. When you want to talk to God about them some things, you should probably have been talking to him all along. So work on that relationship. We can, uh, we can have this attitude that if bad things are happening, it must be God's will and it can't be changed. But remember, he invites us to take part in things and our prayers do change things. So he says, we can say, oh, the mountain's too big or, or, or here's the one for me. I've prayed about big stuff in the past and it didn't work out. It's, like saying, well, maybe God didn't care enough to change things, but there's always a bigger picture than we can see. Or maybe we don't, we don't pray at all. Or if we do pray, we don't really believe it. Oh, man, do you ever stop and you ever tell yourself, I don't want to get my hopes up. I'm praying about it, but I don't want to get my hopes up. Man, get your hopes up. Get them up. Hope. When you don't get your hopes up, you're, you're not really protecting yourself from future disappointment. You're just starting it now. You're just starting the disappointment now. And sometimes I wonder if some of us uh, Christians who've been doing this for a while, we pray and we don't really believe and we don't ask big prayers because we're kind of afraid, well, what if God doesn't come through and God looks kind of bad because everybody knows I was praying about this thing. We're trying to protect God's reputation. God will protect his own reputation, y'all. We need to pray fully and boldly and believingly. It's not your responsibility to decide what is possible or impossible. It's just your responsibility to obey and to pray. And God will take it from there. When we pray, we tap into unlimited power. Anything. Now, someone says, I can pray for anything. Yes, you can. Yes. But that doesn't mean that everything is good or right or in God's will. Man, there, there are some people out there who will tell you that you can use prayer to manipulate God to get whatever you want out of him. Um, something that he may not have wanted to give, but you can back him into a corner and you can kind of, you can get things out of him. Um, sounds good to get what you want, right? Sounds nice. But I'll tell you, if I had gotten everything I wanted through the years, it would have destroyed my life. Because some things I've wanted were dumb or destructive at times. It would not have been good. Getting what you want is tempting. But if we really believe that God is all-powerful and all-knowing and wants what's best for him, wants what's best for us, would we really want to twist his arm? Would we want to get something that he doesn't want for us? Heck no. It'd be, it wouldn't make any sense at all. The wise bet is to ask for things in God's will. We can be sure we'll receive that. God has given us this opportunity to participate in this story that he's telling. And, and you're going to say, okay, okay. I'm supposed to pray for things in God's will. Well, how do I know? If it's in the will of God, this thing I'm asking for, I'm so glad you asked. God has provided us with the opportunity to know an awful lot about his will. It's, it's, he wrote it down. He wrote down this whole book full of teaching about what is right and what is wrong and, and you know, what, what we should be looking for and what we shouldn't be looking for. And, and God's will will never contradict what he has laid out in his word. It's never going to be God's will for, for you to ask for something that his word says is wrong or destructive. Well, what about, what about those other things that aren't necessarily a good or bad thing? What about choices we have to make? 
you know, between this job or this job or or maybe we need help with this thing or that thing. Someone needs healing or someone needs provision. What then? Here's my advice to you. You came here, right? You came here to listen to this. The guy with the weird orange mic in his hand. Here it is. If you see a mountain that you think needs to be moved, ask God to move it. Pray for it to be moved. Pray believing. Prayer moves mountains. But understand that as you ask God to move that mountain, the first mountain that needs to move is in you. And when the mountain in you moves, the mountain out there, you might look at it a little differently. So pray about it. Absolutely pray about it. Pray believing. Pray boldly. But understand, God may transform your perspective, transform your understanding, your attitude, your unbelief. And when the mountain in you has been moved, that mountain on the outside better watch out because something's going to happen. The 12 disciples couldn't see how the power of God could possibly continue if there wasn't a temple. Jesus reminded them that the power of God is not in a building of stone, but in the blood of Jesus. It wasn't the religious practice that gave them power. It was a relationship with Jesus. Their prayers could move mountains. But the first mountain that needed moving was within them. Their mountain of misunderstanding, their mountain of unbelief. The first mountain that most often needs to be moved is in me. Ask God to move that mountain. There was a kid named Robert. Robert was born into extreme poverty in a mountain hollow, and it seemed like he was destined for the same life of violence and alcoholism and dying young that consumed all the men in his family, all the men in his community. He grew up like that, grew up hard, grew up a drinker and a fighter. He had his jaw broken once. He got shot in the leg once. That's how rough his life was. And one Sunday afternoon, after a day of drinking and gambling he wandered into a revival meeting of all places somebody had a revival meeting in his community he wandered in there and he heard and something compelled him to come back and he came back every single night that week and robert at this revival meeting met another son from a poor family in a rough part of the world he met a man named jesus and jesus changed robert's life so now robert's in his 30s he barely knows how to read and write. He goes back to finish school. He finishes high school in his 30s. He gets into seminary and graduates at the top of his class. And he preaches up and down the East Coast. He's got such a down-to-earth, relatable style that people wanted him everywhere. And he could have had his choice of churches to preach in. But his heart is still for the mountain people back home. So he returns to these Blue Ridge Mountains here and finds them full of the same poverty and alcoholism and violence he knew growing up little by little he wins over people he wins over their trust he ministers to their spiritual needs and he leads them to build schools and to build places of business and the community is transformed spiritually and economically he at uh, one point he was preaching to 14 different congregations a week traveling up to 40,000 miles and a lot of that was horse and buggy and he built six church buildings using the most plentiful building material in this area, quartz rocks. 
And chances are, if you've hung out in this area for long enough, you have driven by or visited or worshipped in one of the six rock church buildings built by Robert Childress, by Bob Childress. One of the first places I ever heard the gospel as a child was at Vacation Bible School at Dinwiddie Presbyterian Church, about three miles from my house. That was one of those rock churches. After his death, his legacy lived on, and an author heard about his story and, and wrote a biography and titled it, The Man Who Moved a Mountain. Wave at me if you've read this book or know about this book. Okay, if your hand ain't up, find this book. You'll enjoy it. It's about Bob Childress who brought the gospel to Floyd County, the Buffalo Mountain area, which had a reputation for being rough, through Carroll County, Patrick County. This man's faith moved a mountain. But what mountain moved first? The one inside him. That's where it started. You can move a mountain with your faith, with your prayers. But the mountain in you's got to move first. May the Lord move the mountains in us, the mountains of, of sin we haven't dealt with, the mountains of unbelief and doubt and fear and misunderstanding. And my prayer is that the Lord will use us to move this mountain. We're in the mountains. We need to move them. Lord, move this mountain. Move this hill. Move Hillsville. Move this county. Move the counties all around it. Move the region. Move the state. Move the nation. Move the world. And it starts when a mountain moves in you. So what's the mountain in you that's got to move? That's where we start. And let's pray about that right now. Almighty God, in Jesus' name, look into us and show us the mountain in us that needs to move. Maybe the mountain in somebody's heart that needs to move today is they need to trust in Jesus for the first time and be saved. God, I pray for that individual, that they'd cry out to you right now and ask to be saved. God, move the mountain. Move the mountain. Lord, move the mountains of doubt and fear in us. Move the mountains of misunderstanding in us and empower us to move the mountains around us with our faith, our prayers to you. God Almighty, thank you so much that you are the mountain mover. Please move the mountain in us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here and part of this. And I hope you'll take that home, all right? Ask God about the mountain in you that needs to move. Oh, yeah. Lucy's reminding me here of something. Um, December 3rd, we're having a, a church Christmas dinner. And we kind of like to get a head count, okay? Because um, we're um, kind of going to have it catered. We're going to plan for it. Um, so sign up on the sheet at the guest services desk there at the back. And uh, I think that's all that I'm forgetting. I don't remember what I forgot. I don't know. It's, it's tough. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of this today. Hey, hang around for a little while. Sign some cards, if you will. If you got time, sign some cards. Come back at about 2 o'clock, and we're going to pack those Operation Christmas Child boxes. It's going to be fantastic. God bless you. Take care.